Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So good morning. Still morning. Good to have you here. Um, and uh, let me just see, I, I think a lot of you weren't there yesterday. I'm not rebuking you, but if you weren't there, just put up your hand. Okay, great. That's awesome. Then it helps us kind of just uh, know where to go from here. Um, so this is David. David uh, has been a friend of the ministry since 2015 uh, when he first came for a um, Power of Love conference. How many of you were there? Okay, there's two. <laughs> Three, including David. Uh, and uh, it was really just a great conference. And since then, we built a great relationship with him. And uh, he wanted to come out and... Um, and just bless uh, Grace Life and minister to us in certain ways. And I wanted to kind of just by introduction, before we get into it, we wanted to do a bit of a tag team and then also Q&A. So as we go, uh, Pierre, did you manage to do it? Great. There's a number on the screen, which if you want uh, to ask any questions, WhatsApp your question to that number. It will go to our office, uh, which is not here. And our office will then forward, Martinet will forward the messages onto me and it will be anonymous. So uh, if you want to ask a question, that's the way to ask a question. Um, but, um, you know, we, we um, at Grace Life, like Etienne was saying, uh, we are passionate about the gospel, which is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? I mean, just a few things on that, like uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Okay, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So this is a powerful message that we've got to live a life of salvation. Then you've got um, uh, uh, many other uh, uh, verses in the Bible which kind of show things that we should experience in the Christian life. How many of you know we should experience perfect peace that was mentioned earlier? How many of you haven't experienced perfect peace this week? Okay, there's a few honest people. Then the rest of you are liars. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Some of you might be living there. That's awesome. But the thing is, is like we don't always experience everything we believe. Right? Right, crowd? We don't always experience everything we believe. And so why is that? And how can we experience more? And uh, something David was sharing before the seminar at all the campuses and um, uh, uh, during the week was just this thing of... Um, Jesus speaking in, in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, where he says, uh, uh, If you abide in my word, you shall be my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, just uh, very briefly on that, uh, uh, a lot of the t someone had a question yesterday, which was really a great question, and the question was, you know, isn't freedom like a one-time deal when you get saved, now you're free? And Jesus wouldn't have said that then. Because, I mean, also, if we look at our lives, then we all need to get saved again. Because we're, you know, we're not experiencing the freedom that Jesus came to give. And so we want to experience increasing freedom in our emotions and in our lives and from different things. So how do we do that? And that's really a, a, a large part of David's ministry is helping show a way. It's not the only way, but this is a really significant way of how we can process truths so it becomes part of us so that we can live in this truth and experience perfect peace and experience all these things. So I think the, the, the 
A good first question then, David, or uh, you, if you want to just... Uh, I make a comment first. Read everyone. Comments and then go for it. Etienne mentioned his shirt. But his short pants. <laughs> but uh, I never even paid attention to the shirt. I just liked the shoes. Uh, I saw those I shoes and says, I want them. I was like, you know, I almost coveting the shoes, but I that's didn't funny. see your shirt at all, so no worries. I thought you were going to talk about the knees. But that's fine. I like the knees. <laughs> I see the knees too, yeah. Anyway. I like that. So, yeah, I think just to maybe kick it off with just speaking about how we often don't experience what we know we should, and then, like, maybe just share a bit about your testimony and how you got into that. Well, yeah, as uh, Shane mentioned, it says in John's Gospel, Chapter 8, and, of course, when we read the entire story, in John's Gospel, Chapter 8, we see that there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes that try to entrap Jesus and make an accusation against him. So, so what happened, of course, was that Jesus, he kneels down on the ground and he writes something. I don't know what he wrote. And a lot of people speculate what he wrote and we can all speculate. But what, what happened was that all the people who accused her walked away and there was only Jesus and the woman left. And, and, uh, and Jesus said, where are all your accusers? And then he said, neither do I condemn you. And we have all received that gift of no condemnation, right? That's really the essence of the gospel. We have received this wonderful gift of no condemnation, of grace, that uh, we don't have to do anything. We just, you know, no matter what our past is, no matter what our history is, we know that there is no condemnation because through Christ Jesus, there is forgiveness. We can know God. Aren't you glad for that? But then, of course, as we continue to read, then we come to this John's Gospel, chapter 8, and now it says that there were Jewish believers. They, they believed in Jesus, like we do, right? Because, of course, when you receive this wonderful gift of no condemnation, you believe. So they were believers. Um, and then Jesus says, of course, that... If you abide in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Actually, if you abide in my word, you shall be my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And, of course, they were offended because they said, well, we are Abraham's defend, uh, descendants. How can you even suggest we are believers? We believe in you even. How can you suggest that we are not free? Of course. That's, I think, what most people would say today, even in our churches. Oh, you know, I'm free. It's like they get offended with their very thought that's, that how can you say that I'm not free? But that's what Jesus said. And we think about it, and then he defines what freedom is. When you're enslaved or when, you, when there is something that you are not able to control, then you're not free. So the question is this. If how many here can, can control your thoughts? How many have complete control of what you're thinking? And I would suggest most of us don't. It just comes. It's just automatic. And even the feelings that we have. So how many knows that sometimes you just wake up and you feel grumpy? Does that happen to anybody? Now, do you want to feel grumpy? Oh, I can't wait till tomorrow because I'm going to wake up and I want to just be grumpy all day. How many want that? But you wake up 
grumpy or you feel anxious. How many like to be anxious? Nobody likes to be anxious, but suddenly it comes on you. So who is in control? What, what makes us feel anxious or irritated or upset or, or any of those things? And so we then have to be honest with ourselves. And this is what Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If we are not free from all of those things in our lives, the only logical conclusion we can come to is that I must be missing something about the truth. Right? And that is very hard for us to accept that maybe, oh, you know, I'm, I must be missing something about the truth. So in my life, in, I hear I've preached around the world. I've preached to as many as people as 100,000 people in one service. And I had led, even in one service, 15, at one service we had like 50,000 people respond to Christ. So I could stand up and talk about, oh, you know, of course I'm free. Look what I have done. And, but inside I was not free. I had dealt with a number of different things. And so I was angry with certain people who had done me wrong. But then I also recognized there were things in me that I had this guilt and almost a feeling of shame. And so I was not free. And I remember sitting down in 2008, to answer your question, uh, I remember sitting down in 2008 on my bed at my house in San Diego. And I just said, I'm not free. Jesus, who said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I'm not free. So I have to be completely honest. I must be missing something about the truth. That's all I said or prayed or whatever. It was more like a statement I made sitting there on the bed. I'm not free. And, uh, and then I, I said, I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to know the truth. If I'm missing something about truth, if everything is a lie, at least I want to know it is a lie. If Christianity is a lie, if the whole thing doesn't work, then I want to know it because I want to know the truth. I don't want to live a lie. I want to be free. That was my attitude. And of course, then you have these doubts because how many have heard we've we, we always been given like fed fear in church that well you know you don't want to you know you, you know you, you don't want to miss it here and and then I, I remember the scripture that that Jesus uh, when Jesus said if you ask the father for a good gift he's not going to give you a bad gift and I had asked for one thing that I may know the truth that I may know the truth and that then led to, and I forgot about the whole thing. Sometimes we, things happen in our lives and we forget about it. But then led to, when I look back many years later, I say, oh, oh, I see how, how there was a leading and guiding me. And I began to see Christ and Jesus and, and the Bible in a whole different way. It was like a whole different way of seeing. But what happened, and this is the biggest thing, and I'm not saying that to because sometimes we, we boast about ourselves and to think that we're, but th that's not my intention. But it changed my life. It completely transformed my life. And I was even thinking about it this morning. I was sitting there looking out from a hotel room. I, I was just thinking, filled with gratitude. I said, my life is just, even in the midst of tiredness, I had still this incredible gratefulness and this sense of presence of Christ in me. And um, so that... It's a 
long answer to a long question. <laughs> Just kidding. I think it's good. I think um, yeah, the biggest thing is about um, you, you lived it out. You had your testimony there that you weren't experiencing it. And I think because you weren't experiencing it, you, you kind of knew that something's missing. And I think uh, I, I, I've testified to that too. It's like often we have this <clears throat> experience, experienceless uh, 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 faith. We don't see the results of what we're believing for. Something's missing. And what a lot of us tend to do is we're going to go, I don't know what's wrong with God. <laughs> you know? and, and what you've basically been saying now is, is instead of saying, I don't know what's wrong with God, this doesn't work, going, what am I missing? Where is it? Then you're not saying that you're perfect and you know everything, but there must be something truth-wise that I'm missing out on. And uh, I like that because then it's like a let's pursue truth and default to maybe I'm wrong rather than maybe God's wrong or maybe this doesn't work, which is, uh, is really good. And, it's, and in a sense, it's not that any of us are wrong. It's just that we are missing something, Right. And, mm. and that there is a greater level of seeing. And, and, and one of the things, and if, I, if you don't mind me jumping in here, mm, go for it. I, was, I was thinking about this um, yesterday afterwards. Someone asked me a question. I thought, oh, I should have mentioned that. What, what, what I came to realize in my own life is that uh, the truth, we often reduce it to a, a, a number or letters or words we reduce it. Of course, we know that Jesus is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, it says. So we reduce it into a mental concept of what that means. But I, I, I was saying to someone, trying to explain is that one of my favorite places in the world to visit is Maui. How many heard of Maui? It's in Hawaii. I absolutely love it there. And I could describe the island of Maui to you. I could paint pictures or I could show you pictures, and I could use words to try to describe what it means. And that may kind of give you a desire to go there at best, and maybe not, but mm. it could create that desire to go there. But really, if you want to know what Maui is like, you have to experience it. You just have to be there. And then you can't really describe it. There's just something about that place that is very peaceful, and, and I'm not going to try to explain it. And, and that's what I mean when you really awaken to Christ in you, it, when you really awaken to truth, not as a mental concept, not as a theology, not as a dogma, not as a nice thing that we quote on, mm. on, on, in church on Sundays, but when you awaken to it and you awaken to it within, you become aware of it, it transforms you. Mm. That's good. I want, to, I want to shift gears and say that often what happens is um, we, um, uh, one of the things that David brings out is this, this idea of meditation, which a lot of people kind of get scared about because they think of Eastern religions, which Christianity is technically an Eastern religion. But anyway, um, <laughs> just thinking of it now, but uh, uh, <laughs> Middle Eastern. But like, we're not going weird with that. It's more just like <clears throat> meditation is about focusing on something and, and focusing on it in a way where it starts to become part of you. It's not just about vegetating. Uh, it's about focusing on something. And even in David's meditation program, which I'm sure you'll mention just now, like it's about focusing your attention towards something. And the whole purpose of that is like what we would call renewing your mind or changing the way you think. Because this is one of the reasons why we don't experience 
everything we know we should is because in our heart of hearts, we don't believe that. We don't believe what we should be believing. So there's, there's kind of just like something different. And so I like, uh, let me get into this, Ephesians chapter 1. There's a couple of verses. If you go read through Ephesians chapter 1, it says a lot of things about our identity uh, uh, in Christ. Okay, so for, for example, firstly in verse 3 it says we're blessed with every uh, uh, spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Has there been a time when anyone feel, has felt, not felt blessed in this room? Put your hand up. So there's a couple of us. We've not felt blessed at some time. Then there's another one where it says, uh, verse 4, according as He has chosen us in Him. Have, has anyone not felt chosen by God? Yeah, there's a couple of you. So chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. I'll just pick out without blame. Has anyone felt like they're not without blame? Like you felt like God could blame you for something. Then, I mean, you go down to verse 6 and it says that He's made us accepted in the Beloved. Has anyone felt like you're not accepted by God? Yeah, are all of these things that I've just mentioned truths or not truths? They're truths, okay? So it's true that you're accepted in the Beloved. It's true that you're chosen. It's true that you're blessed. And I mean, there's many other things there, but you're not feeling like that. And we tend to then go with our feelings. And, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So then that becomes like your experience. And one of the things that David ministers on is how to kind of bring that truth to become a reality in your life. So maybe you can just speak about the meditation and, and how we bring those things out. Uh, it's also just based on a question of um, uh, uh, basically to do with this with the heart. Like how do we kind of experience what we uh, uh, believe, knowing that, you know, do we believe it really or not? <clears throat> I think the fundamental question for all of us to settle is, first of all, um, who we are at the very core. You know, so much of the way we live our lives, and that's why I focus on ego, so much of what we lived our life has been programmed into us since childhood. So traumas and all kinds of things have happened in our life, but also what people have fed us, ideas and thoughts about who we are. And for me, what really transformed my life was coming to that awareness that at the very core, I am none of those things that my mind has told me that I am. Those are thoughts that have been added to me from the outside. Like remember um, Eve in the Garden of Eden. She ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil because she thought it would add something to her. She thought it was pleasant for food. It was good to eat. There, there was something that was added to it. And humanity, we always seek something to be added to us. We want maybe more money, more status, more fame, more titles, more significance, more recognition. There's always something that we want to be added to us in order to somehow or another alleviate some of their inner pain or feelings that we may not be enough. That's just the way we are conditioned. So for me, the, the very, to, to answer your question, the very first, what, what really changed my life was to become aware 
amount of awareness. And that seems like a strange thing to say. I know it seems a really strange thing. But what, what I realized and I, through practice, that I became aware of, of, of not the conditioned mind, but I became aware of my own awareness. And then I became aware, and then I started using scriptures, because there, there's a little, almost difference between a feeling and awareness. Feeling is to do with emotions, but just being aware. I can look out and see things. I'm aware of it. I can look out and there's a sign that says toilet, but I can just look at it and just be aware of it. I can look at you and just be aware of you without making any uh, judgments or saying, thinking anything specifically about you. I'm just aware. I'm just aware of you. And I realize that through awareness, it's only through awareness that I can be aware of God. I can't be aware of God through my mental noise that is often, is, you know, has something to do with me, mine, and I, and my own significance, my own need for to be seen, to be heard, to be recognized, to, to be loved, to... Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm just aware of it. So how do I become aware of this incredible Christ in me? Christ that... How can I become aware of the kingdom of God that is within you, as Jesus said, that is at that hand, this... this Christ that is all and in all. How can I become aware of it? It says in Ephesians chapter 4, the Father, God is above all, through all, and in all. How can I become aware of this presence? How can I be aware of what it says in Acts chapter 17? In Him we live and move and have our being. How do I become aware of that? And, and I think the most significant thing is, is that as long as we are trapped in our own thoughts, in our own head, then, then we will never see it. So when we become aware, when we just still ourselves, we come to an inner peace. That's why Jesus, the first thing he gives us is after the resurrection, he gives us peace. And I, I, to me, peace is inner stillness. You become aware of this presence. You become aware of the, there is this peace. You just receive the peace of God. And then the, the Holy Spirit is always associated with peace, right? You know, Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. And then he breathed on them, which is a strange thing. <sighs> you know, like this is not a Benny Hinn service, right? <laughs> he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So there was something about the breath. So, you, you know, here is, I hope. Jesus had been eating too much garlic or something like that, you know. But that, you know, just receive. You, he's breathing and you, you receive it. And when you just take that in and realize my peace and the Holy Spirit, and this may sound like really weird to some, but just think about it. It says the Holy Spirit, um, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which tells me, that the Holy Spirit is not just sitting in my head, in my brain, because the Bible always makes a distinction between the head and the body, right? So, no, we always think that the Holy Spirit is up here in our brain and giving me all these thoughts about how great I am and how great of a ministry I have, and I'm apostle so-and-so and his eminent so-and-so, and look what I can do. Look, I'm such a great singer. I am the preacher to God, of God's Word, and people don't see my gift and don't recognize me that I'm this and how many don't have all these thoughts about yourself? If you actually sit back and think about it, the, your mind is preoccupied with a lot of thoughts about 
yourself and me and mine and how do I look? <laughs> you know, we all do that, like I do that too. <laughs> so don't feel condemned that, you know, even though I... I we, we, that's how we think, right? But if we just come to that place of, I'm just aware. Now, I invite the Holy Spirit. I invite Christ into my awareness. There is nothing else but just Christ. And I do that through meditation then, where I sit down and say, hmm, peace. Receive the peace. Peace. And then I may focus on the cross, and I, I'm just looking, observing it in my mind, in my imagination. But it works the same way. I'm just observing it. I'm just sitting there, observing it. And, and I'm, I'm not making any judgments, not creating a sermon about it. I'm just aware of it. And when I'm aware of it, it fills me with love. I become... I, it's like, I, I just have this deep sense of love. Now, if you sit in that for long enough, your sense of identity becomes transformed. And now you disidentify from the thoughts of the ego of who you are, and you begin to realize, oh, Christ is in me. The very life of him is in me. And now the more you sit in that, because remember, how, were you, how did you become what you are right now? through years of meditation and thinking about yourself. But how can you become all that Christ is by becoming aware of that and allowing that now to transform your inner being that then transforms your mind and the way you think? See, that's why you have to awaken first before there is a renewal of the mind. There has to be an awakening to Christ in you. Otherwise, it often doesn't really work for people. So but when you become aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, when you become aware of the presence of Christ within you, when you become aware, then you also begin to see it in all things. I stood out here for a few minutes and, and looked out, and I just was mesmerized by the beauty. And I felt this inner peace, the presence of God in all things. You see what I'm saying? So when you become aware of that, it transforms you. It transforms your sense of identity. And you realize, oh, it is no longer I, my ego, my need to, for this and that to, that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. And that's what brings the freedom. That's great. You know, just uh, with what you're saying, I can see like a lot of experiences I've had in my life. Uh, I can see in what you, you, you said now and what you teach in general. And, uh, you know, it was years back, 2000 and eight or so, I went into ministry uh, for the first time, and I went on a, a trip to go get some training and stuff, and it was uh, like a two or three week trip. The whole trip, I had to catch a bus from here to Pretoria, which I would never do again, and um, that's all the money I had was a bus trip, and so I went, and then I came back via East London and all that, and it was amazing, but, in the, but the amazing part was the whole time, I was so aware of God's presence, like I was just aware of it and experiencing it, and it was amazing. So I got back to my apartment in Stellenbosch and uh, sat down on my couch, and I was like, I feel nothing now. <laughs> I was like, 
God, where are you? Like, where are you? Like, am I supposed to be here or should I stay on the bus? Like, you know, like I, I kind of with this mindset of maybe I, I've missed God now because I don't feel something. I'm not experiencing something. And it was really amazing because in that moment I felt the Lord say to me, you know, Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So you have a choice now. You have a choice to either focus in on the truth and accept it or not and keep seeking an experience, keep seeking a thrill. And uh, in that moment, I just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to obviously choose to go with the truth. And since then, I've experienced a lot more because it, it's consistent. There's a consistency that I'm experiencing now. And I have experiences. And they're great, but I'm not living from experience to experience. I'm living kind of by that truth which I focus on. And there's been times in worship where I'll, instead of focusing on um, just what we're singing or kind of how long is this going to go for and what for lunch. And, you know, instead of like kind of thinking about those things during singing, I'll think about... Thank you. I'll think about things like, uh, uh, wow, God, you're here. Thank you that you're one with me. Thank you that we're together forever. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you, know, I've got, I, I, you unconditionally love me. Romans 8.1, that there's no condemnation for me. Thank you that, that you, know, you accept me in the beloved. And I kind of meditate on those truths. And you know what happens? I experience something in worship. Or I experience something in that moment. Even if it's just overwhelming peace, which is amazing. But I experience something because I'm changing my focus. A lot of you are experiencing anxiety because you're focused on the wrong thing. And you're not taking time to, to even focus on the amazing truth of Christ in you. Because, I mean, most Christians aren't aware of that. They're not thinking about that. They're thinking about everything other than that. And so it's really important that we kind of realize our experience in life is depending on, on our consciousness, what we're focused on. So what are you focusing on is a great question to ask yourself. Um, a general question. There's many good questions here. I'm trying to figure out how to kind of put them in. Uh, otherwise, um, yeah, and I made a mistake and I put the wrong number on the screen. But they're coming to me anyway, so don't worry. <laughs> so it's, it's getting here. But why does the knowledge and awareness uh, of freedom for many people often lead people to, to sin? What makes, like if people know, uh, uh, all of a sudden experiencing freedom kind of often end up doing the wrong things. Why is it that they kind of maybe go off in the wrong direction then? Um, there is a difference between having an experience. We all have many experiences. For example, life really is, is a series of experiences, right? Like this is an experience right now, right? You know, every thought you have is an experience. Imagination is an experience. So your life is an experience. So we have had many experiences where you really felt the presence of God, right? But it goes back to your identity. You see, your identity determines the life that you live. Who you believe yourself to be determines the kind of life you're going to live, what you're going to experience in life. And many of us have been programmed since childhood to see the world a certain way, even to see the Bible a certain way, to certain scriptures. So we come with a bias about the world, and 
which is one of the things that I'm trying to remove will help us see that we all have these biases, even in the Bible, in the Word of God. Like, I hear people say certain things, and, but it's not even in the Bible, but somehow or another they've heard someone else teach about that, and that becomes then their sense of this is the way it is. So w w when it comes to meditation, and I'm not sure if I'm answering the question here, but hopefully, it is to come back to that place of awareness to just sit with a, with a verse in the Bible, for example. I read this this morning from someone. I thought it was so good. They just sit with a scripture and come to a place of inner stillness where they no longer have an interpretation for it. They're not trying to, they, they have no bias. They just sit there with that scripture and allow that scripture to speak to you without a bunch of words in the beginning, but just sit with it. Just become aware of it. So I, I for example, this, this one scripture that I made reference to yesterday and today, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed unto his death, that I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. I have been sitting on that for a year. And that's, that's all. I just sat with that. Or I sat for a long time when it, it says in uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and, until it became life to me. So it wasn't that I was thinking about it. I wasn't trying to figure it out. I just sat there and, and became aware of it. It was an awareness of it. Love. Love. Love the Lord your God. I took one word at the time and just sat with it aware of it. And then what I realized was it started speaking to me, started speaking life that then transforms your sense of uh, your inner sense of who you are. It brings life to you. It, it awakens you to spirit. It awakens you to your true essence. It awakens something within you that then you, that permeates with love and grace. So I'm not sure if that's answering the question, but it, it, it's coming to that point of, and I stress this, we always seek to go back to the mind and our thoughts, and we're going to think about these different things. No, I'm, I'm saying there's, there's a different level, and most of us have never experienced it to really to any great degree. That's why it's so foreign to us. But just to become aware, sit with one verse in the Bible for a year. I, let me challenge you. Sit with one verse in the Bible for one year and do it 20 minutes a day, just one verse in the Bible. And don't just try to be aware of it. Try to be aware of the presence of that word. There is something deeper beyond that word. It, in other words, it's a guidepost to knowing the truth. But we get so focused on the words. It's like the Maui story. Don't get focused on the words that describe it. Just sit with those words until it becomes life to you. Become aware of them inside of you. And you notice an, a, a, an incredible transformation. I hope that makes sense. I know it's a different way of thinking because our minds naturally like to process everything. And, but it's, it's so freeing when you just sit with something hmm. and allow it to change you. Hmm. And I think just to, to go further on that question, knowledge and awareness of the freedom kind of tends to it's different from what, well, like what David is saying, it's different from it becoming part of you and, and, and experiencing that. Like we've all got a lot of knowledge uh, and, and, how, but, and how many of you have done something before and you said, I knew better than this? 
<laughs> you know, we all know better, but we don't maybe do better or experience better because uh, it hasn't really become a default for us. And, and so it's not enough just to know stuff. I mean, that, you know, year, a few years back, we found that, like, with our uh, ministry school, like, it was just a lot of information that people were receiving, a lot of information, and there wasn't much transformation happening. And, and it's great, like, people are getting a lot of information, but we don't want a bunch of spiritual fat cats. We don't want, you know, people who are spiritually constipated. Uh, we want people who are, are, are kind of seeing the transformation and experiencing fruitfulness. So we pulled the handbrake up and changed everything. And uh, it's taken us a year or two, and this year is the full kind of like experience of uh, uh, the, the, the new curriculum. But the point is we don't want just more information. We're wanting people to experience a process of, of it, getting it so that you can, you can live it out. Go for it. Can I, can I just say something about that because I think you bring up such a good point, and mm. I think I mentioned this yesterday. But in Ephesians chapter 3, it says Paul is praying. Now, these are believers, right? Ephesians, that you may know the truth. No, I said that you may know the love of God or love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Mm, that's that's an oxymoron, right? How can you know something that surpasses knowledge until you begin to actually look at that in the original text? To know here is gnosis, which is not knowledge that you retain by getting information. In fact, how can you know love? by putting words to it, you know? Mm. I mean, I, even though I think even describing natural human love, when you fall in love, well, why do you fall in love with the person there? Well, we had this great intellectual discussion about love and what it means to love one another, and we came up with a great concept about love. No, <laughs> you, just, you just feel something, right? And that's not even... That's still a little bit of ego in that, too, because we want something from them. But it still gives us a little bit of an understanding what it means to know something, mm. to really be aware of something. Uh, I mean, and to be aware of Christ and love and peace. Wow, mm. it's like the most mm. wonderful, amazing mm. life. Woo. That's great. Amazing life. Didn't mention that. <laughs> yeah, this is where you can mention that. Uh, <laughs> this question, uh, what, does it, uh, uh, what does it look like practically to meditate uh, on a daily basis? Um, yeah. Well, for me, I meditate in the morning. I usually have some coffee first. <laughs> and the reason why, and i tell you honestly the reason why, is because... I'm sleepy in the morning. And to meditate is not falling asleep. A lot of people think that, oh, I'm, they, they just, it's a help, helpful way to fall asleep. And yes, it may work that way, but that's not the purpose of meditation. Meditation is being highly alert, being very aware, not dozing off, but being aware. But not be so preoccupied, preoccupied with what some refer to as the egoic mind with me and myself and my story and my narrative and my life and everything else. It's just being aware of the presence of God in me. So for me, I just sit down. Usually, maybe I read something beforehand. I take a few minutes and read. 
and it may be just one thing that stands out that then, oh, this, this, is, this is really good. I just, there's life in this. And then I pray, most, I say, a short little prayer that says, first of all, thank you. I say, thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you. Because when you say thank you, your mind always wants something. It's never quite satisfied when I say thank you for everything. It's an acknowledgement that what I have is enough. Mm-hmm. So I say thank you, and then I pray a simple prayer like this. Um, uh, may, may my steps be ordered by the Lord today. That's it. No more like that. Something like that. May my steps be ordered by the Lord. And then I just close my eyes and, and I often, as I said, go through one scripture, focus on one word. So I maybe focus on one word for three or four minutes and then I focus on the next word. So, for example, once in a, often I do this one, be still and know that I'm God. So I focus on be. When my mind drifts on all kinds of different things, I just go back to the word be. Be. Being is different. It's just being aware. Be still. Stillness is this inner stillness where there's no mental chatter inside my brain that tries to preoccupy my thoughts. And be still and know. Be aware. Be aware that I'm God. You become aware of that presence. So that's one thing. And that that takes 20 to 25 minutes of my time, just that one scripture. Of course, when the mind drifts away from it, I just return to it. And what happens often at the end, I start seeing things that I hadn't seen before. They are life-giving. They give life to my spirit. It's like I'm seeing things, and it just gives me great joy. And, And a lot of things that I share in these conferences is because I saw them at moments of of these being aware of the presence of God. And that's why so many people think, well, he's teaching things that totally opposite of how I've been taught. It's because it was in during these moments of just sitting there that I became aware of this presence. And I said, ah, oh, this is bringing me so much life. So that's essentially what I do in the day. That's meditation. Um, and then... Another thing is that's one way of sitting down with meditation. But then I also go outside sometimes. Many evenings, especially it depends if it's too cold or whatever. I just go and stand at the corner where there are lots of trees and I just look. You know, in Romans it talks about that God has revealed himself through nature. I'm just looking at the trees. And, I, and I'm just aware. I'm just aware of the presence of God. I feel this great sense of mm, peace. And then a car comes by and I have to, it's loud, and I just have to go back to that place. So I walk the golf course. Don't play. I just walk the golf course that's close to where I live and, and just look at the trees, the nature, and just... There's an inner sense of awareness of awe, of wonderment. And I realize the presence of God. Mm. And if you're in that for long enough, uh, can, some people get changed immediately, but some people, if you, if, if you stay aware of that for long enough, it's going to change. 
your personality, everything mm. about your life. And what I experienced was that it made me more loving and compassionate and more forgiving and kind toward people. Right? Isn't that ultimately what we want? Not to be stressed up and worried and anxious. In fact, very rarely am I anxious or worried. Mm. I used to be a, I was raised by a mother who was the chief of warriors. She was so worried about everything. And I got her gene for some reason or another, but it seems like my, all the children in my family, we got, we worried about everything, you know. And then just becoming aware, just becoming present. Now, the, once in a while, that little worry tries to slip in, and then I just go back. Oh, I'm aware of your presence. And it just dissolves. The worry dissolves. Effortlessly, it's not there. It takes no time nowadays. No time. It just dissolves. Just the worry. Even if you have certain emotions, when you, have those, when you wake up, Grumpy. How many know that you just can't help it? Sometimes you just wake up grumpy. What do you do? I just go to that place. I don't try to get rid of it. I don't say, in the name of Jesus, I cast out this spirit of grumpiness. I, it has never worked for me. If it's worked for you, God bless you. But it hasn't worked for me. So I just, hmm, there's grumpiness. Let me go to that place of being aware. Aware of the presence of God. And then yeah. I mean, it's, it's, maybe there are little remnants left of that grumpiness. So, so I just kind of observe it from my identity in Christ. I observe it as something that is foreign to my true identity in Christ. Hmm. I'm okay with it being there at, at a little bit in the background, but then it dissolves very quickly. I'm not trying to get rid of it. I'm not suppressing it, which is often what we do, suppress our feelings. No, those are feelings, but I'm operating at a higher level when I have, when I have a revelation and when I'm aware of Christ in me. Mm. And I allow that presence to dissolve any negative attitude I have about people. How many ever had negative attitudes about people? Mm. You just, like, they irritate you. You know, I mean, it happens, right? Like, it happens to me. I don't know about you. You're also saintly. Maybe it doesn't happen to you. But sometimes, I mean, especially when I, there, it was, say, especially at airports and on the streets of certain countries in the world where somebody comes after you running you because they think you have money, and they want as much money out of you as possible, and they try to sell you, and they're, you know, that just kind of, hmm, my defense mechanisms awaken, right, arise. So I just have to, ah, oh, let me be aware. Let me pause for a moment. Find that peace, inner stillness, my peace I give unto you. Come aware. Come aware of this presence as suddenly, even the person that is irritating in me, I see beauty and life and love for that person. Mm. I hope this makes sense. That's good. I'm just trying to put into words what, <clears throat> what it means for me. And, and I know mm. words are never sufficient.
Yeah, and I'll say, you know, the, with the boot camp students, we've been doing meditations most days, and it's been great, hey, Anna. The, all of the, 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 the boot camp students, they have testified about how they've really enjoyed just taking time. I think we go up to how long? Half an hour or so. Half an hour or so, and it's just a case of being quiet and focusing and, you know, just uh, getting ready for the day, and, and it really... Like helps a lot, you know, just to be still like that. Because most of us, are, our quiet times or our times in the Word or whatever, it's not really stillness, is it? <laughs> There's a lot of noise, uh, a lot of busyness, a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, there isn't an opportunity maybe sometimes for God to speak to us because we're, we're just so busy talking or so busy thinking or so busy whatever, and we walk out of our time with God, and it's like a, um, we didn't receive any peace or experience any peace. And so you're taking those 20, 30, 40 minutes, however much you can, just to be able to do a few exercises like that would really, I, I think, change your life completely. Um, I mean, I, I was speaking to two different people um, about, uh, about their life uh, this week in this regard, and they need to do something like this. The one guy was telling me how... Um, you know, he went to a, a, a psychologist, and, and the psychologist actually said he needs to do something like this. And he said, and so I was like, great, I've got the perfect thing for you. And I started, like, telling him about it, and I know that I know that I know that he's not going to do anything with it. I know that he's just, he went to the psychologist, that was enough. But he's not doing anything with it. And that's the tragedy. It's like, you know... A lot of us aren't willing to put the time in or the money in or the effort in to be still and just allow ourselves to have that information or that, that truth kind of sink into our hearts and become part of us. And that's really important. We need that. Uh, so it's like if you, I mean, all of us can experience that. But if you are in a desperate place, you need it more so. And then you might need someone just to help you maybe, you know. <laughs> Well, you bring up a wonderful point there because I was thinking about uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, I think mm. it is, it says, labor to enter into rest. Now, that seems like an oxymoron, right? Again, labor to enter into rest. Well, if you have the labor and rest, like, those are opposing words, right? But there is that initial labor because your mind is so away with so many different things. So to just get to, place, get to a place of inner stillness takes time. And that's what we do the meditations. And we have our meditation programs. We have the amazing life that many, some of you may have gotten. Or we have a new program called uh, Awaken to Christ in Me. We actually help people. Because I found even with our amazing life program, it's a 40-day journey of transformation. Because I realized that most people will try it one day. And then says, I try this next week when they, when they feel like it. How many ever, let me use this as an example. How many have tried to get, you know, try to get fit? Like you'd go to the gym, right? And how many know that in the beginning, if you don't have a set plan on how to do it, you'll go one day, but then you go by feelings. Mm. How many wake up feeling, I don't feel like doing any exercise today? How many have that? And then you don't feel like it the next day. And then you don't feel like for a third day. And then you need it for a week. And then it's two weeks. And then it's a month. And then it's a year. And suddenly you realize the pounds are being added to me. And you say, well, I better do something about it. Why? But, then but those people who, have, who are doing it daily, they can't live without it. 
Have you noticed that? Like if you're really doing all the time, you just, I can't wait. These are so important moments. Even if you have an initial feeling of, I can't do this, there's still something that propels you. You want to exercise. And that's the same thing with meditation. So when we put the 40-day journey of transformation, it was to help people to do it for 40 days. I challenge you. I double dare you to do it for 40 days. I have a guy who told me uh, half a year ago, he said, I've been doing that 40-day journey of transformation of yours 19 times. Not, not 19 days, but the, four, the all 40 days, 90, 19 times. He keeps doing it all the time. Hmm. It's like an addiction. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It, 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 it's, it's not an addiction, but it's a labor to enter into the rest. And then you can't live without it because it so transforms your life. That's a little plug, by the way, indirect plug for my amazing life, which is available at the back. But. Here we go. Now, there's some great uh, questions still coming in, um, and we're not going to get to them all, so I apologize for that. Um, but uh, this, this question has been rephrased, um, and just want to ask, like, how do you deal with your heart if you don't believe that God loves you? And you're just focused on your flaws and your failures. Yeah. Personally, I look at church history. And even in our own evolution of sort of coming to know Christ, I see there's a trend. There, there's, a, there's, there's a change. There, there's a progress, right? So for me, I was so rooted in grace in the love of God first, that I don't question that. So when I recognize these things in me, like I think if you're not rooted in the fact that God loves you unconditionally, it becomes a sense of works, even this. So I can see that, that that's quite possible. And then you, but when you really experience it, it's not. It feels like, in the, initially it feels like, oh, I got to work to do something. And that doesn't feel like grace, right? But I think when you actually experience it, you really know this is just life. This is how my life is. And in fact, I think the opposite is really the works. That when you're so preoccupied with your mind, we just don't recognize it as such. But you really awaken. To me, there's nothing that gives you more joy than just being in, in that presence of God. And there's no works. I don't have to pray anything. I don't have to say a bunch of words. I don't have to keep it going like I thought I had to do nonstop in my early prayer life. I thought I had to pray nonstop. It's like God saying, shut up. And now I just sit with Jesus. It's like I heard, I heard someone say, you know, uh, she said, I like to sit with my husband and say nothing. Just being in the presence of someone. You know what I mean? How many like that? Do you have the talk all the time? It's just being able to sit with Jesus. Sit with him. Mm. Is that works to you? To sit with somebody? That, that's the very opposite of works. Now it does a tremendous thing in your mind to free you from all these different thoughts, but it's not works to sit with Jesus. If you think it's sitting down and relaxing with Jesus is works, well, I'm not going to say anything about that, but you, you, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's the easiest thing in the world. 
conclude, I think I'll, I'll add to that and say, you know, just to get to that place firstly of understanding that God loves you unconditionally is focus on the greatest demonstration of His love, which is the cross, what Jesus has done for us. And, and that sacrifice for you. And when you focus in on the gospel, the good news of what He's done for you, you'll be overwhelmed and you'll experience His love. And, you know, a lot of us maybe came to salvation, came to Christianity by um, hearing a message and accepting beliefs or whatever, but not experiencing that love or being grounded in that love. And this, so this is really for all of us to get to that place of, wow, let me focus in on how much He loves me and let it impact my heart because then love will transform you. Love will change you. And so that's the thing. It's just focusing in on what He's done for you and how that can impact and change you. It will naturally do that. But I, I wanted to close off just was reading this verse. Um, uh, 1 John chapter 1. Because I think the, this kind of echoes what we've been speaking about. So 1 John 1 I'm in a new living, and I'll stick with a new living for this, I think. Let's hope they don't uh, say what I didn't want it to say. No, I'm joking. It says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one, speaking of Jesus, who is life itself, was revealed to us. And we have seen Him, and we testify and proclaim to you that He is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, experienced, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. What I love about this passage is he's saying, uh, uh, you know, that we've experienced something, and we're telling you this so you can experience something, and the experience is an, a fellowship. The Bible, the word there is koinonia, or communion, partnership, and intimacy really with each other. So let's, there's a, an experience to be had with each other as we experience God as well. We were talking about this earlier because as you discover Christ and as you discover your righteousness, it impacts the way we relate to people. But you can see from this passage, clearly, it's not just information. You can see from this passage very clearly, it's not just a, a, set, a, a statement of faith that you go, I agree to this. It's not just an ideology or anything like this. It's relationship. Christianity is about relationship with God. It's about a friendship with Him, an experience that we have that impacts us so much that we want other people to, to experience this love, and so we overflow in love towards them. Amen? Any final thoughts, David? Stillness. Uh, no, I was, uh, one thing I wanted to mention, again, going back to the, I think you bring up some good points there, that think of meditation as sitting with Jesus. And that, have you ever noticed that when you don't know somebody, you need to talk a lot? You know what I'm saying? Like if you're right next, if you're sitting beside someone, 
and you don't know someone, you feel the urge, so you, you got to carry on a conversation, right? You're trying to think of things to say. But if you really know somebody, you're comfortable in silence. And so think of sitting with Jesus. You're comfortable because you're loved. There's a love there. You're just sitting with him in stillness. And so you can use your imagination to create that reality. And who says that that's not real? As, as I pointed out beforehand, just because we're not, you know, people think, oh, you, you know, the scientists are not saying that scientists are not saying that there may be 11 different dimensions. We're only aware of three dimensions. So what are dimensions we haven't seen? When you're asleep, you're only aware of nothing. And then you have dreams and you're aware of dreams. And then you wake up and you have a different reality. What if there is a different reality that we don't know? Just because we don't know it, do we reject it? Just because we haven't experienced it, we reject it? My feeling is that when I began to awaken to this, I began to see things differently, a different reality. And then when you become more aware of that reality, in that dimension, wow. I mean, most people treat the earth like it's an escape route, like we can't wait to get out of here. I think this is a beautiful place. How many agree with me? Like Cape Town. <laughs> the mountains, the ocean, the trees, the sprinkle out there. Look at those trees. Wow. Look, look, look at you. Ah. Oh. beautiful. When you become aware of that, you're just filled with love. Eden, the Garden of Eden, means heaven. In Garden, Eden Hebrew means heaven. Heaven on earth is to be aware of the presence of God that is everywhere. David said, even when I make my bed in hell, you are there. Wow. To beware of the presence of God. May, our, may we be enlightened, as Paul prays. May we be enlightened to see beyond our physical eyes. May we be enlightened to see the reality of God. Mm. And that, that carry us forward into everything that we do. So my invitation is not works. It's sitting down with Jesus every day and shutting up and not thinking just being aware simple right you can find more of our free teachings on our website www.gracelife.ca and if you're ever in the Tigerberg area we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings our aim is to help you discover Jesus find family and experience life to contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca